Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all of the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I am your host, Mikkel Snyder. And I'm your other host, Keith Weekly. We are in week 10, or 11, or 12 of quarantine here in the Midwest. The days constantly blur together, and we're recording on what is a long weekend, a fact which had escaped me because time continues to feel meaningless in the real world. Although, I guess we can be thankful that time is still very much meaningful in movies. This week saw the trailer of Christopher Nolan's Tenant premiere in Fortnite of all places, and while we had a glimpse from the teaser beforehand, we actually get a slightly longer trailer with a slightly better understanding of what we're going to be actually watching. AKA, they're not going back in time, it's some convoluted process called inversion. We still don't actually know what the hell is going on with this movie with this uh, palindromic title. And we keep hearing the phrase, you need to stop World War 3, but it's in the same breaths of lines like, you're not firing the bullet, you're catching it, and you wanna crash a plane? Well, don't make it sound so ridiculous. It's hard to say exactly where this movie is gonna go in like the grand scheme of things, but I, I'm really excited. It looks fantastic, just visually. Nolan's deft hand for directing is obvious and apparent, and the chemistry between Don, John David Washington and Robert Pattinson is just absolutely perfect with their banter. I'm very excited for this latest feature brought to us by the man who gave us Memento, The Dark Knight Trilogy, The Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, and Dunkirk. Like, what a filmography, and what what a interesting, fascinating movie that Tenet looks like to be added to that list. So, Keith, what do you think? Like you said earlier, we don't know what's going on here. I don't get it. Like, this trailer makes the wanted movie physics defying laws look normal, which is saying a lot, because they bent bullets in that movie. In this one, they're catching bullets with guns after they were already fired in some weird... I don't know what's happening, but I'm super excited, because like you said, it looks fantastic. And everyone in it seems great. But I don't know what's happening. <laughs> but the good thing about not knowing what's happening here is I want to find out what it is. And hopefully the movie sticks the landing as far as explaining this mind-bending concept of inversion. Where you're not skipping through time, but you're kind of making things jump in reverse even though you're still in the present. I don't know. It's so weird, but like visually, there's nothing quite like it. It's kind of like seeing that first Inception trailer for like the first time where like the city folding in on each other. It's just like... Holy crap, I didn't know that people could, like, even conceive this, like, and, like, be able to, like, make it a real thing with, like, film, because, like, we've seen a lot of, like, weird stuff happen in, like, uh, comics and animation when you have, like, complete control over, like, the visual, like, the exact panel, the exact frame, and we're seeing stuff being done with special effects and with camera angles that just, I, I could not even, like, conceive, like, how do you make that happen? And Nolan's out here just like, yeah, we're going to do this and it's going to look awesome and you're not going to understand what's going on. Yeah, I think we're definitely benefiting from being in a time where creators and directors can do things that they only dreamed of in the past. 
like I was actually talking to a friend of mine about one difference between the more recent Star Wars films and the older ones is the most recent trilogy gave us the visuals that we always imagine in our minds because now we actually get to see that and this is another example of that where with movies like Inception or movies like Tenet no one would have even imagined this because you need these steps to get to this point in the first place when it comes to different advancements in technology and creativity and all those lines. So I'm just wondering what's going to be the next step if this is where we are right now. By 2030, there's going to be some crazy movie that I can't even imagine. And I'm just going to like, my mind's going to explode. Well, Keith, we know what the next step is. It's digitally recreating James Dean to star in the remake of Tenet. Oh no, let's not bring that back up. It has to be mentioned whenever we talk about the future of film. So, to conclude, we don't actually know anything about what's going on in this trailer other than there are time shenanigans and Robert Pattinson looks like he's having a ball messing with the time shenanigans and John David Washington looks very tired, but who isn't tired in times of of COVID-19? So how did they make him look so tired so often? Like, he looks exhausted that entire movie or trailer, at least. I'm like, did he just not sleep at all when they filmed this? We'll wait. We'll wait for the final product. Alright, for our next segment, we're sticking to movie news. For a few years now, my relationship with Spike Lee has been complicated. And by relationship, I mean one-sided awareness because he doesn't even know I exist. And by complicated, I mean he made films that I adore. Films that make me cringe. And one in particular that I despise with every fiber of my being by my hometown Chicago. But that's for a different conversation. Despite this complicated history, I'm still more likely than not to at least give whatever the latest Spike Lee joint is a try before writing it off. That's looking at you, Black Landsman. The case will surely be the same after Netflix dropped the first trailer for The Five Bloods. That's the D-A, not T-H-E. The film tells the story of four black Vietnam war veterans who go back to Vietnam to find both the remains of their father's squad leader, played by Chadwick Boseman, and buried treasure they found all those decades ago while facing all the demons they left behind. On a first look, this looks great. It's filled to the brim with a crop of actors who I've come to love over the years in various roles. But from what I'm seeing, it's got the casting and political nuance of an old-school Spike Lee joint and the historical retelling of a Quentin Tarantino production. Okay, what are some of your takeaways from the trailer? I got, I got deja vu when watching this trailer because the premise sounded so suspiciously similar to another film I swore I had watched before. And it turned out it was actually a Spike Lee film that I had watched before, which was The Miracle at St. Anna. Oh! I didn't make that connection yeah. at all! What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember this 2008 movie, which I know is like 17 lifetimes ago at this point, but uh, Miracle at St. Anna is a Spike Lee movie that features a, a small band of soldiers dealing with the consequences of wartime actions and the bonds that they made with like hidden treasures. So when I saw the Five Bloods, it was just like, wait, I've he's made this movie before, hasn't he? Hasn't he? And like that that that's that that's all I could think about, which is sort of like this this feels so familiar. Now it's not exactly the same. That the time frames are different. Miracle at Saint Anna takes place in World War Two as opposed to the Vietnam War, but like. It was very much sort of like a like, is he is he trying to remake something? And just, it just that that was my takeaway. Like it does look good. The trailer looks good. I don't have as complicated as a relationship as Spike Lee, but that's also because like I'm not black. I'm not like I, I haven't seen as many Spike Lee films. So like 
I do remember about the whole Chicago. Uh, what was the name of that movie? It doesn't matter. We don't need to speak its name. Okay, so so that Chicago movie. I know. Oh wow, he actually went with that title. Yes, he did. <laughs> that's why. Oh, I'm, that's why, I'm looking that's why I hate it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, so yeah, I know he's contentious. I've I like some of his movies, and Inside Man I think was probably my favorite out of the ones that I had seen before. This looks good. Netflix knows how to get interesting properties, but like I kept thinking, sort of like I've seen this trailer, I've seen this movie. There's so much nuance involved with like black veterans in the Vietnam War, what they went through, and how. They were all overseas fighting for a country that they would still be second class citizens in. And the first people I thought about with this were a lot of people in my family who were on Vietnam vets, actually. And I'm thinking about their experiences and how they might feel about this as well. And I can already hear the keyboards clacking for the think pieces this film is going to create. I'm going to ignore those for the most part and just get ready to check it out when it finally does make it to Netflix. We have so many dope actors. Oh, speaking of, we get a, the Wire reunion of Clark Peters and Isaiah Woodlock Jr., which... I didn't realize, so I saw them on screen scenes, and I'm like, whoa, look at that! And that's super, like, I'm super excited to see that, because I'm always down for the wire content. And this is also another example of, like, why it's important for us to be able to tell our own stories, because pretty much any time that you do get a war movie, it's told from the perspective of, like, the white guy who came over to fight for his country and just got, like, a twisted view of America. But this one's about a bunch of black veterans who already had that twisted view of America, going over to Vietnam, having that reinforced, and now they're adults and they're older and had time to come to grips with that. So I think this is going to come away with a lot of really cool text. Well, do you know what another piece of media that already did something very similar to this analysis was that came out in recent memory? The video game? No, it was Watchmen. Oh, yes, you're right. That definitely did happen. Except with that, like, yeah. it's such alternate timeline type stuff that you can only get so much when it comes to historical accuracy. Like, True. A giant blue man came in one of the war. But like it, it, it definitely approached some of these same concepts of sort of like like a black soldier going over to Vietnam fighting a white man's war essentially and like the complicated relationships that came out of that. And when you mention that sort of like, yeah, we, we did see this recently and it's gonna be interesting to see a grounded take on that, I guess, is is now my takeaway from this. So. But alright, with that folks, I'm gonna go ahead and take a break and be right back. So, this episode of This Week in Nerd News is sponsored by Wiretap, the Chrome extension that makes Netflix social. It's live tweeting made for your Netflix life. See thoughtful commentary and theories from Netflix bloggers and superfans, and never watch your favorite movie or series alone. Whether you want to engage with others or be a fly on the wall to scroll through the latest fan theories, Wiretap makes Netflix communication easy right from your Chrome browser. Go to wiretap.co or search wiretap in the Chrome store and join the future of streaming. That's wiretap.co. As a bonus, many of your favorite writers from Black Nerd Problems, including us at This Week at Nerd News, are going to be using this service. So over the next two weeks, from April 11th to April 25th, Mikkel, Keith, and I will be watching and commenting on Season 1 of Haikyuu. So we have been talking about this for a while. We've been wanting to do a group binge of this volleyball anime for forever. And now you can watch along with us. So add the Wiretap Chrome extension to join 
the conversation. All right, so not that the rest of the news we had in the in the episode is exciting and not like the news that will come after this is also news that we are obligated to talk about, but like this next segment is the only bit of news I care about this week. And it's about Tuka and Birdie, Tuka, Birdie, Tuka and Birdie, Tuka and Birdie, Birdie and Tuka, Tuka, Birdie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh, Miguel's singing, he's happy. <laughs> if if you've seen the intro to Chuka and Birdie, you know what I was trying to get at. If you haven't, that was the intro to Chuka and Birdie. And this week brought just one bit of pop culture news that put the biggest smile on my face. And that was the second life of a series that Netflix had so unjustly abandoned. My jaw literally dropped when I saw series creator Lisa Hannawalt announce that Tuka and Birdie would be getting a second season on Adult Swim in 2021. Now, if you're unfamiliar, Tuka and Birdie is a strange show. It stars Tiffany Haddish as Tuka, a toucan, and Ali Wan as Birdie, a bird. It was this animated comedy about two 30-something bird women living life, and it was trippy as hell, but it was also poignant as hell. It was this deep dive into satire, and was oddball with its visual gags, but it was also unafraid to delve into difficult and complex topics. And at the end of the first season, at... And at the end of the first season, it ultimately provided this much-needed catharsis as well. It was a critical darling with a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, and news of its cancellation just came three months after the series premiered, leading many to wonder what in the world the Netflix algorithm was doing that it couldn't find an audience base because the show was beloved, and what their behind-the-scene metrics were for this decision that seemed to come out of nowhere based on the critical response. This should sound familiar to any one-day-at-a-time fans. But thankfully, Adult Swim has recognized its greatness and will be airing its second season in 2021, and wow, am I thankful that this is the second show to be saved from Netflix's inability to continually support greatness. Duke and Birdie is fantastic, it is weird, it is it is touching and moving, it is, it is very different from its cousin Bojack, but you can see like similar strands of DNA, but... It's a really good show, and if you have not seen it, please watch it, and please find a way to watch it when it's on Adult Swim next year. <sighs> okay, I'm, I'm good. You, you can talk. Right, good? Like, you can take a second while I talk to breathe and catch your breath and everything. Um, I'm definitely seeing a trend here where Netflix is slowly becoming a place where you can go with any idea and make it a show, and you find your audience, you'll be good no matter what, because they're probably going to cancel it. No matter, because that's what they tend to do with quality shows that are just cultural darlings. And then after that, you can get picked up by somebody else. So I feel like Netflix is becoming like a short game, and you need to look somewhere else with a long game and everything. So I mean, I've both seen a couple of episodes of Super Birdie, but it definitely does seem like an adult swim show. Like, from everything that I've seen, most handful of episodes I watched, I'm honestly proud it wasn't there from the beginning, but I can definitely see it going to adult swim and having some legs and getting like a three, four, or five season run if it's handled properly, which honestly I imagine they would, because once adult swim gets one show and it's probably like 10 consistent shows, it'll stay there for a while. I mean, we're still getting robot chicken in adult swim. Well, so it's interesting that you mentioned sort of like the the cable network and the Netflix relationship, right? Because yes, there are, si- we're just now starting to see a situation where, um, 
a Netflix series can get a second life elsewhere. Because usually it was Netflix saving a bunch of, of cable series from, from various things. But when you brought up sort of like the uh, Netflix as like a starting time, I actually thought about the reverse because uh, Pendleton Ward got his start on Cartoon Network with Adventure Time and then he got picked up for Netflix for The Midnight Gospel, which is also a very trippy show with a lot of visual oddball humors that's oddly poignant for what it is. Um, so we're seeing a weird symbiosis, I think, is, is more accurate, where it's sort of like Cable and Netflix are trying to like play nice with each other insofar as like maybe they're not trying to play nice but like there is a symbiotic relationship that exists for creators where it's sort of like if it doesn't work here it's not the end of the world which i think beforehand before netflix before the streaming wars all started happening if you lost the contract it was gone forever it feels like and now it feels like there is more second lives more like one extra season here and there so I think this actually might be showing that Netflix is becoming on the bar of these cable studios and cable channels because before they were kind of the, like the younger sibling who was trying to catch up by picking up scraps and making the best out of them with a dive in the rough mentality versus then they flipped, then they flipped the script and became the place trying to throw out as much content as possible to prove that it's on the same level as everyone else. But they're eventually going to realize that they're losing properties that other people are taking and making money off of. And I think that actually may result, if this does keep happening, becomes a trend, of course, that could result in them being a shift in their whole mentality when it comes to property, product, intellectual property. They might actually switch back to the quality over quantity mentality because they realize that they're losing even more money than they're already losing because I still understand their business model, to be totally honest with you, because they don't have commercials, subscriptions are cheap, but they keep throwing money at properties, whatever. But I think this is definitely going to be a landmark in the future of streaming and Netflix. I mean, people even ask me if stream wars are over, which they're not, and we'll get to that real quick. Never. Um, yeah, and, and to your point, it, it's fascinating that we still have no idea how many people actually watch these Netflix shows other than what Netflix kind of tells us, or like any of their decision-making processes, because One Day at a Time gets canceled, Two Can Birdie gets canceled, 13 Reasons Why is getting its fourth and final season, and that's still a thing. Like, how do we get there? How did that happen? But it's just, it's a lot. I'm glad that Adult Swim is out here being sort of like, we're gonna keep this animation alive, because that's what we do, and they do it well. I still need to watch Rick and Morty at some point, but we'll talk about that later. So we'd be completely remiss this week if we didn't bring up possibly the biggest piece of nerd news of the week and maybe even the month. It was announced this week that the long-rumored Snyder Cut of Justice League not only exists, but will be released on HBO Max sometime in 2021. That's right, the last hope for a very small but vocal minority of DCEU fans is actually coming out to the masses. I already went deep into my thoughts on this in the editorial on BlackNerdProblems.com, which you all can check right now. But thought of Ferdinand McHale right now on what his thoughts are before I come in and ask on my own. Of course it's this timeline that gets the Snyder cut, right? Like, of course, out of all of the things happening in the world, the exact circumstances of life have aligned in such a way that this is the reality where the Snyder cut not only exists, but is getting released on HBO Max nonetheless. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, okay. So, so here, here, here are the things, right? 
I am a big DC apologist. That is known. I loved Man of Steel for all of its faults. I thought it did a lot of things good. Zack Snyder can make a visually interesting movie, and the one thing he achieved with Man of Steel that I think he did really well was that he made Superman feel really powerful when you were watching him, as well as the other Kryptonians. Good. Yes. Excellent. Everything that's come after that has been just sort of like a steadily chipping away at my confidence that like live action DC can work. And it's just been like Batman versus Superman. The best part of that was a five minute Wonder Woman scene at the end. And then and then Justice League was just a mess. It was just this this cobbled together like mess that that was like clearly designed to sort of like we're gonna out Avengers the Avengers by doing this and just like but they did it in all of the wrong ways with all of the wrong things. And, like, th- this is giving us the Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad. That's also in this timeline, right? Like, and it's just, like, there's that. So all of this to say is that I, I love DC Comics. I was I was watching Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. I was one of the first people to, like, sign up for the DC Universe. All of their animated properties are so good. Like, past, present, and, and present, I'm going to emphasize that because... I feel like what they should be doing is just taking all of this budget they're just throwing away at the live actions and just give it to the animators and give it to the comic book creators and just and just stop. And I'm gonna watch the Snyder Cut because I, I'm, I'm that person. I don't like that this exists. I don't like the fact that like a bunch of people were yelling for a couple years and that this has happened. Because this is just Mass Mass Effect free all over again. We're like, like, oh, if we just make enough of an uproar, companies will listen to us. Which I don't want the takeaway. Because we're going to start getting bad stuff because of that. So, like, here's the thing. I know that Zack Snyder can make a a good looking movie. I'm I'm excited to see that in the sense that, like, it, it probably looks good. I don't. I don't like this timeline, Keith. I don't like this timeline at all, though. I'm just, I'm just tired. <laughs> we are all tired, sir, myself included. I definitely agree with a lot of what you were saying there. And as I said, and so one thing I said in the article is that everyone loses because of this. Like, literally everyone. Like, first of all, Zack Snyder loses because he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt for me that this is going to be a good movie. Like, everyone, for whatever reason, automatically came out with the assumption that Joss Whedon made Justice League worse. Based on what Zack Snyder did by himself with Batman vs. Superman and Man of Steel, why do you think his Justice League is going to be a good movie? Like, we saw what he did when he was by himself and had four random projects with no intervention from anybody else. Meanwhile, Joss Whedon did the Avengers and, okay, you're wrong, and a couple other things where, at the very least, he's hitting, like, a pretty good batting average. So for all we know, he may have made Justice League better than it was, which is saying so much. Now, I think one thing that may work in Zack Snyder's favor here is that he's had three years to hear the complaints that we've all made about the movie. He can easily go in and just change some of that stuff and say, like, hey, this is what I always planned to do, even though that's not the case whatsoever at all, right? So he, that can work in his favor. But the reason why I say he loses here is because if this movie is not the best thing in the world, he lost all credibility. Like, people all this time asking for the movie to come out, and it's not going to be nearly worth the energy, time, and 20 to $30 million it's taking to produce it, by the way. Like, the movie, the Snyder Cut, 
is not a finished product at all. Like, it's no special effects. It's like green screen, like people walking around from what we've been told. So like, they have to go in post-production with all of this and maybe bring the cast back to certain pieces here and there and all this kind of stuff. So it's not remotely worth the money, probably more likely than not, based on what we've seen in Zack Snyder in the past. Yes, it would be beautiful. I'm of the belief that he'd probably be a great cinematographer and not quite a director because this movie look amazing. And I even like Watchmen. Most people don't like that movie, but I will say visually it's still amazing as well too, right? He loses here. Joss Whedon's probably giving everybody a huge middle finger, as he should be, because basically if they're redoing the movie without him, it's safe to assume that they think that he was the problem. Which, like, I said this in my article too, I, imagine being like an A student who gets roped into a group project two days before his due, and like, you find out that it's going horribly wrong, and then the day of presentation comes, and you get a C plus. You're very happy, because you knew it could have been an F. But everyone else is looking at you like, oh, look, the A student got a C plus. That's a failure. That's what Josh Whedon probably feels like right now. He probably walked into a crap show of a film set production and everything and saved it. And it still wasn't that good. But he knows what it could have been and we preserved this all that. The fact that this is what happened, plus the sign of the hedgehog thing, which actually worked out for the better. I think we set the precedent now that for better or worse, if fans are loud enough or warm enough, they're going to be able to get whatever they want. And that's going to lead to a lot of mistakes the studio's doing that they should not be doing. And also Warner Brothers. Why are you doing this? You already own all of the intellectual property in the world. You are not desperate for content. We don't need this to happen right now. But there's the, I guess they figure, well, hey, we already lost, like, we already spent like half a million dollars on this movie. What's 20 more million on top? See if we can maybe save or something. But I'm just, I'm tired. I am also very tired. <laughs> So I, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a couple things. I'm gonna hit a couple things. Uh, I think the Sonic backlash. I think that was a little bit justified because uh, I can't even say that. Um, the problem with the Sonic thing for me. The problem with the Sonic thing for me is that like the character design that was presented was fundamentally different from anything beforehand. And we had just come off of Detective Pikachu, where the 3D models were not were not the same as the sprites, were not the same as the the character designs, but they felt right. They felt good. So like, I got the backlash with the Sonic thing because when I saw the Sonic trailer, sort of like this is not the Hedgehog I was expecting. Um, now I feel really bad for all of the artists involved and the millions of dollars of the animation studios that were probably lost trying to recreate this film. Um, I think we need to be vocal and we need to critique companies for the decision making process. I think that having them invest millions and millions of dollars into a movie that has already been released for what will be tantamount to be a very fancy director's cut is the line in my head of what we're crossing. Which brings me to the other two points that you mentioned. Oh my god, is Warner Brothers putting so much money into HBO Max? Oh my god. Oh my god. Every single, like, everything. The coffers are endless and you're still spending all of it. And two, I think this was, like, this week or last week, but, like, they announced, like, they have, like, 600 movies that they're including in HBO Max. They have, like, 10,000 hours of movie footage that will also be on this platform, available next week, mind you. And it's just sort of, like, it's wild. And the last point, the last point, they don't have all of the intellectual properties. They have half. Disney has the upper half. Ugh, this is just so disappointing for so many reasons. And again, 
I want to acknowledge there is a possibility, slim possibility, that it will come out and it will be a good and enjoyable movie. It's just not worth the risk. The cost benefit analysis here was not good. Cost was not a factor. That, that's really all it was. Alright, folks, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on that, head to blacknerdpop.com and check out the article I wrote on it because I did leave some things out there. But again, everyone loses from this if it's not the most amazing movie in the world. Alright, and with that, it's time to move on to our lighting round. As we do every week, we can't quite get to all the news that happened in the past week, but we do want you to at least know what's been going on out there in the world. So we have our lighting round where we go through three to five headlines just to make sure you're aware of what's going on. So for this week, Avatar The Last Airbender hit Netflix in the United States for the first time, leading to plenty of Avatar content on my timeline. I'm not even a little bit mad about it because I love it. Uh, Mindy Kaling and Dan Gore partnering up to bring Elle Woods back to lead laundry was announced this week. Hulu announced a second season of the crowd-pleasing series, Romney, which is pretty cool. And lastly, and I swear I'm not making this up, Peter Dinklage and Jason Momoa are teaming up for a vampire-themed buddy comedy. I cannot wait to see a trailer just to see what in the world they mean by that, because whatever I'm imagining in my mind doesn't seem real. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Alright, if you'd like to hear our thoughts on these topics and more, or anything else in nerd news, feel free to tweet us at Black Nerd Problems with the hashtag TWINN. That was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture news. Once again, I'm your host, Keith Lee Cleveland. And I'm your host, Michael Snyder. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe, and listen to podcasts and rate us five stars. Have a good week, folks.